Welcome to the Max Finance Podcast, where a certified financial planner and personal finance geek discuss how to make intentional financial decisions that maximize your money and achieve your goals. Okay, welcome everybody to another episode of the Max Finance Podcast. In today's episode, we'll be talking, uh, continuing our mini fire series and talking about some account account types, some mechanics, how that may differ from a traditional retirement saving strategy, uh, and uh, some, some different tips and tricks along the way there as it relates to contributions and things to think about as you start to approach distributions. So um, anyways, uh, that being the backdrop, um, maybe we start out by talking a little bit about what's different uh, about traditional retirement. Lauren? Yeah, um, I think one of the first things that come to mind, obviously, is just the, the you know, the retire early part of, of financial independence, retire early. Um, to me, that's like a very important distinction. And that makes a big difference when thinking about uh, maybe what type of accounts you might um, invest in, but then also thinking about how you might withdraw money from them. So, you know, most retirement accounts are designed to make it easy and are kind of yeah, designed to withdraw funds around 59 and a half. And obviously when you think of retiring early, that's usually um, not, the, not, not the time that you want to withdraw those funds. So I think that's kind of the main difference that I think about um, during that period. Um, what do you think about other kind of differences between um, FIRE and traditional retirement? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll just point out the super obvious one, which is just a, a really high savings rate, a condensed period of time to uh, reach that goal. Um, there's not as many years to start to save up, and and so you're you're you've got a high savings rate, and that must mean that you're not spending as much. So there's a lot of implications around there. Um, but I, I think, and I'm sure you'll agree with this that. I think the, the 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 fundamental point here is even while we're going to kind of cover some some more complex items, uh, even if you have a high savings rate and you're not necessarily optimizing in the in the in the best way, like just putting those dollars aside is a huge win and getting you on the path there. And so you don't have to be an expert out the gate about all of these different things. These are just some some items to help you kind of think about as, as you're starting to make some some uh, moves and try to try to plan there. So I think uh, t- tax planning is a very important element kind of built in uh, either end of the spectrum here. Um, you know, and, and so maybe we dive dive into kind of what are the more common vehicles that folks are going to be leveraging to start to save and and put put their high savings rate towards. Yeah, I want to actually emphasize that. I think that's really important. Is that what we're talking about? I think is really about optimization. It's not uh, necessities or requirements. I think obviously you need, you need if you want to uh, you know uh, plan for early retirement, you need to save money. But what investment vehicle you use that will change things around the margins a little bit and make things a little bit more efficient from a tax perspective. But I think the good news is there's nothing that I don't, I don't I can say nothing, but for the most part, as long as you're investing and putting money aside, there are ways to get money out of almost all of these accounts in some way, as long as you plan a little bit ahead, maybe just a few years to five years ahead. Um, so I think it's one of these things where, again, this stuff can be very overwhelming. Um, and so, yeah, try, try to learn it if you can, but don't let that stop you from, from, in, from saving the amount of money that you think you need to save to hit your retirement goal. Mm-hmm. So important, so important. And so maybe I'll just start with some general framing. In an ideal world, we'd have a collection of buckets in retirement to start to draw from so that we can be as strategic as possible uh, when it comes to the tax picture. So as an example, having some dollars in a pre-tax account, um, that uh, is pretty standard. Um, Having some monies in an after-tax account um, and some monies in what's called a taxable account. So that's more of a brokerage account. Uh, The middle bucket's more of a Roth account. And the first bucket was more of a traditional say 401k or IRA bucket. So um, it would be nice, uh, you know, when I work with clients who are just about to reach retirement uh, in a traditional sense, it's always nice to have some mix there of, of each. Um, but, but again, if you're just directing all of your savings to one bucket or another, it's not the end of the world. There's ways that we can navigate and, and try to rectify and uh, uh, that, that, uh, 
those buckets and equalize some of those buckets later on. So can you talk more about why you think it's nice to have uh, kind of multiple buckets or different types of accounts? Yeah, definitely. So uh, just due to the tax implications of that. So for example, the uh, most efficient, maybe when you're stowing money away is that pre-tax bucket, say your 401k. Um, But when you start to pull those dollars out, all of those would be taxed as ordinary income. So that's going to fill up that those brackets, those lower brackets uh, very soon. So, um, you know, having the uh, ability to, to tap some other buckets, such as the, um, let's call it the, the, the after-tax or Roth bucket, um, so that no dollars pulled from that account are taxed. Uh, and then also if, you know, uh, especially as it relates to uh, retiring early, having uh, a, a, some, some amount in a brokerage account to uh, tap, um, ideally, long-term capital gains, which are taxed at much more favorable uh, rates than ordinary income. So it's a, it's about, it's almost like uh, bracket management is, mm-hmm. I guess, the way I think about it. Yeah, I guess, when, you know, when, when you're in retirement, any type of retirement, you uh, have the means to somewhat control your income, right? And so you can choose what, what accounts to draw from and you can, you know, calculate the tax implications of everything like that. And so you can try to take advantage, I guess, of a lot of sort of 0% tax brackets, 0% capital gains tax brackets to really just maximize the the value that you get from these withdrawals. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what are, what are some of the first steps somebody might take um, in terms of contributing towards this, this big goal? Yeah, so I guess, you know, we can kind of do a quick recap on the types of accounts that are available and, you know, um, the tax status of them. So, you know, traditionally, um, you have things like IRAs, right? So you have traditional IRAs and Roth IRAs. The, the, the former is um, could, can be tax deductible depending on your income. Roth IRA is um, contributions are not tax deductible, but withdrawals are tax deductible, or not, excuse me, withdrawals are not taxed. Um, but again, also subject to kind of income requirements. Um, and we have, you know, 401ks, again, have pre-tax and uh, Roth type contributions that you can make to them. But then you also have HSAs, which is kind of made for, uh, you know, I guess that's a health savings account. So it's made for you to be able to save money to pay for health expenses. Um, I think that's only available when you have what's called a high deductible health plan. So it's a health insurance plan that has a very high deductible, meaning you often have to pay a lot out of pocket before you get a lot of the benefit out of it. Um, but with that HSA, you get a lot of tax benefits. Um, and so that can be a vehicle too. Um, and those are kind of the main kind of account types. And then, you know, there are some kind of strategies to kind of get money in into those accounts to kind of sometimes get around some of these income requirements or thresholds, um, as well as to kind of put, as well as to get around some of the uh, maximums uh, kind of contributable amounts. Um, so, you know, for those that do are saving a lot and, you know, are, uh, are able to save beyond the, you know, what the, I guess, I'm not quite sure. I guess this year it was 19500 for 401k and, you know, $6,000 for an IRA. And I think an HSA is about 3600 or something like that. Um, so for those that are, willing and are able to save more than that, there are some other strategies to be able to do that. We can talk through. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's a good kind of survey of, of just the different options that most folks have access to just a quick uh, side note too. So most people have access to a 401k. Sometimes you don't, sometimes you have different types of plan, a 403b. Um, maybe you've got, maybe you work for a small business and maybe they have a SEP or simple IRAs. Um, so the, you know, your mileage may vary a little bit there, but uh, just kind of talking about those who do have access to a 401k. Similarly, on the HSA front, um, not every employer offers a high deductible health plan that qualifies uh, for use of an HSA. So, um, yeah, definitely, especially uh, at least at the time of this recording, we're kind of in open enrollment period, but worth checking into and kind of seeing what your options are. Uh, and seeing if you've got access to that. And so um, specifically, maybe we start with the 401k, perhaps, um, you know, you, you likely have two options. I, for those who have a 401k, I don't think I've ever seen one where they only have pre-tax contribution. I'm sure it's out there and don't have a Roth 401k. But um, yeah, just again, high level, it works very similarly to the, the traditional and Roth equivalents on the IRA side. Um, so the pre-tax uh, 401k contribution or traditional 
contribution, uh, you're, you're getting a deduction in the current year. And then any dollars that you then go and pull out uh, in retirement would be taxable. So um, very, very advantageous up, up out the front. Um, and then it, it can be somewhat challenging and push you up to a higher bracket um, on the back end there. And then obviously, this, just the opposite is true with the, the Roth 401k. You're paying the taxes this year and you're um, able to withdraw those dollars in retirement without having to pay any taxes. So it's a really, really efficient vehicle. So um, yeah, I guess I'm curious your thoughts and kind of how you thought about uh, either, either bucket and when to contribute to um, either pre-tax or post-tax or Roth dollars yeah i think it you know it comes i think the 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 um thought process there is not too different than someone maybe just planning for kind of normal retirement age i think you're really just looking at um you know how, how much tax would you pay today if you if you paid if you contributed with with Roth dollars essentially um you pay taxes on it um or you know said another way what what is the amount of the tax deduction that you would get essentially by contributing to a pre-tax 401k. So thinking about kind of today's situation and then thinking about what would retirement look like and what, how much tax would you then pay um, when you withdraw, when you withdrew those funds. So obviously no one knows the future in terms of what tax brackets are going to be as you know, it's even hard to, know the future of what individual situations are going to be and what they're going to want to, what kind of uh, income they're going to want to draw. But, you know, for someone who uh, is, you know, it kind of depends on where you are in your career and, you know, where your income level is. But um, for a lot of people, pre-tax, I think makes, tends to make more sense, but not, not always Um, contributing to pre-tax simply because when you contribute to pre-tax, you're, you're getting a tax deduction at your marginal tax bracket. So your highest tax bracket is what you're getting the, the deduction on. And then, you know, when you, when you do pay tax on those dollars in retirement, yeah, it is taxable. Um, but depending, you know, it depends on what other withdrawals that you have. And again, depending on what bucket you're withdrawing from, if you're also withdrawing things from a Roth account too, like you may not actually have that much taxable income. Therefore the, the withdrawals that you could take from your 401k could, you know, could be under your standard deduction. You may not pay any tax on it, or it could just be in a low 10% tax bracket. So um, I think, yeah, I don't know. I think pre-tax is kind of like probably the best start for most people, but um, yeah, I'm curious. We probably talked about this a little bit, Um, but again, can't really go wrong either way. What I love about 401k in general is just um, there is none of these income requirements, tests like Roth and traditional IRAs. And then obviously the amount that you contribute is so much greater than a Roth or excuse me, than an IRA, you know, 19,500 versus 6,000. And then obviously if your employer gives you a match, that's even a a better reason to do a 401k. But um, yeah, curious if you have any other thoughts on the pre-tax versus Roth uh, contributions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. Uh, definitely, I think the income limitations. I mean, that's why I think this is one of the best places to start because the amount of money that you can put towards uh, retirement is, is so good. Um, so yeah, nineteen thousand five hundred twenty twenty one. Uh, we're kind of coming to the end of twenty twenty one. They've uh, IRS has recently announced they're going to be moving that to twenty thousand five hundred, um, and so this will be just inflation adjusted as it has been for many years. Um, and so if you're tuning in beyond twenty twenty two, you know maybe just double check where you're where the, the contribution limit has moved up to. Um, I, the way I, I frame it uh, for, for clients, as I, I, I say that, well, let, let's say, you know, much like you're talking about, just kind of comparing tax brackets. Uh, today, in the future, maybe what your peak earning years could look like in comparison to retirement. Um, and so what we do is we go through and model, you know, kind of at least roughly speaking, what retirement could look like, what tax brackets could look like. Um, but uh, maybe just um, if, if you don't have that level of detail already kind of mapped out or just kind of generally looking at things. Um, maybe just think about it in terms of your career, in terms of how, uh, you know, are you, are you, are you just brand new into this career and, and you're just starting out and there's many years of, of earning uh, potential ahead of you uh, where your tax bracket could be a much higher than it is uh, today. Um, you know, maybe that could make sense to contribute in the Roth. Um, I, I think in either case, we you know obviously what separates this, uh, this particular um, 
segment, uh, those who are pursuing fire versus a traditional retirement. It's really, I mean, the bare minimum is getting, getting that employer match, that free money. Um, the other thing that's important is make sure you're sticking around for that, that, that period of time, but either way, you still want to utilize this, this vehicle. Um, and so, you know, I think it's important to, uh, yeah, to contribute to, to, uh, the Roth. If you, maybe you think your income is very low relative to what it could be. Um, or, you know, the, the traditional, if you think tax rates are going to be, even if you're at a peak earning year, um, or you don't know what your income might be, and maybe it's kind of stabilized. Um, maybe you think tax rates are going to be substantially higher in the future. So if you're in that camp, uh, it could make sense to contribute to the Roth. Um, or this one is is uh, an interesting one. So, or if you just want to make things very simple for yourself, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about this in the kind of distribution side of things mm-hmm. uh, rather than the accumulation side of things. But it can make things suffice to say it can make things a little bit more simple in terms of how to pull those dollars out if you are um, uh, if you're retiring early. So, uh, but all of that said, I'm a big big believer in the pre-tax. Um, I, I like to reduce the taxes this year uh, because what I often see is we've got, if you look at when somebody is retiring from, you know, I'll just pick a number 45, let's say if they're retiring at 45, the current age in which you are required to distribute dollars out of your pre-tax accounts, uh, it's called required minimum distributions or RMDs. And that is currently age 72. So, uh, in other words, when you look at a tax picture, the, uh, uh, if you've got a huge accumulation of dollars in the pre-tax bucket, um, number one, it can be challenged. It can, it, not, I mean, there's ways to do this, um, but it's not necessarily as easy to pull money out of those dollar, out of those buckets versus, uh, say a, a Roth or a brokerage account. So, um, the uh, if you if you look at the amount of time you have until this required minimum distribution age is, there is quite a lot of time to do what's known as Roth conversions. Uh, at the time of this recording, there is still the uh, it's on the table uh, as to whether or not Congress is going to help try to increase tax revenue by limiting this ability to convert dollars, i.e., the ability to move money in a year of your choosing from a pre-tax bucket to a Roth bucket after tax. And so you're just paying the tax on whatever that amount is. And so one strategy could look like you contribute uh, to your pre-tax bucket, max that out, 1925, 25, uh, 2022 and beyond. And in the years that you do retire, you're in a lower tax bracket, you could convert. Now the challenge with that is we're filling up some buckets of income. And so uh, that again, requires some some planning to see, okay, do we need to use those buckets for other things, i.e. actual distributions into the bank account? So long, very long-winded way uh, of, of answering that question, but curious, any any thoughts or things to add on, on, on that particular topic? Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of touched on some of the uh, the ways out of not the ways out, but the, the ways of kind of, um, well, I guess maybe we'll talk about that in the future, but how do we, how do we take money out of account early and what are some strategies of taking pre-tax dollars and ultimately paying taxes on them, but doing that before you're 59 and a half. Um, but yeah, I guess bef- before we kind of get into that, should we talk about some of the other ways to kind of, um, you know, maybe put contribute money to a Roth IRA if you're not eligible, um, as well as maybe some employers offering the ability to contribute m- m- above and beyond the, the 19500 Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah. yeah, so I think, you know, we, talk, we touched on the, the some of the challenges with a, with an IRA is that there are income thresholds. If you, if your income is above a certain amount, um, you may not be able to deduct a contribution to a traditional IRA, um, as well as if your income is above a certain amount. And I think maybe if you're also covered by a 401k plan at work, you're not eligible to um, contribute directly to a to a Roth IRA. And so, what is is available to to people, and maybe you can talk through about maybe some more of the mechanics is is called a backdoor Roth IRA, and essentially that's contributing to it's called a, a non-deductible IRA. So it's sort of an IRA that's um, you're not taking a tax deduction for the contribution, um, but it's also not it's not considered a Roth IRA either. And, um, and then you can con- convert it after that you make the contribution. Um, 
you could convert it to to a Roth IRA. I think we touched on that on a past episode, but again, that's just uh, something that can be done to essentially get money into a Roth IRA, even if you don't meet the uh, income requirements to do so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it, so j- just to talk a little bit more about that. So yeah, the contribution into, so you would use a regular traditional IRA. Um, it, you, you, you don't, you could be over the income thresholds and still contribute to an IRA. Mm. Uh, you just won't necessarily, that, that contribution amount won't be deductible in the year, meaning you won't be able to reduce your income by that amount of the contribution. So um, the reason we don't want it to live in the IRA and just keep it there is because uh, if you were to pull that money out, the earnings then would be taxed. So, uh, well, actually, in, in theory, you'd have some portion would be um, uh, pre-tax, some portion would be after-tax, even though they're kind of kept in the IRA. So it's kind of that's that's not an ideal state to be in, and so what we'd like to do is just simply convert those dollars into the Roth IRA. Again, at the time of this recording, uh, it's still on the it's on the table of whether or not this uh, strategy will continue. They're looking to, to potentially close this strategy, but um, yeah, it's 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 one that's uh, uh, used very widely, and the IRS has publicly said. I mean, they haven't gone through and blessed this actual strategy, but they've said on in various means and ways that. They're, uh, they're not going to go and pursue. Um, previously, for those who may have heard of the strategy, you used to have to uh, put some distance in terms of time between making the contribution and doing the conversion. So maybe it's, I don't know, six months or a year, uh, so as to avoid appearing to uh, try to use this quote-unquote loophole. So um, again, now since then, it's it's been... Um, I wouldn't say outright plus, but allowed uh, up to this point. So, um, yeah. And, and the other way, just as we're, we're kind of walking through these different uh, vehicles, um, think about them as probably, you know, what you might start with first, the easiest, and then kind of what, what's next on the rung. Um, obviously, when it relates to how much you should contribute and, and, and where, I mean, the, the total amount that you should contribute uh, really would depend on how much money you need. And that's the kind of the earlier exercises that we talked about in previous episodes. So, um, yeah, just kind of think about it as, as kind of like a, a, a step, you know, a ladder going up, I suppose, and starting in the first rung of uh, 401ks or leveraging employer plans and then looking at um, IRAs uh, to contribute. So uh, we we're talking about 19500 20500 2022 and uh, $6,000 in um, an IRA. So, uh, so obviously a much lower number, but still, if you start to do that year over year, um, that's uh, that's quite a quite a, a decent amount of money that that can be contributed there. Um, the last thing I'll, I'll say too on this point is that uh, make sure if you are looking to pursue the strategy that you do not have IRA balances uh, already. Um, traditional the, IRA traditional, balance. That's right. Yeah, yep. yeah. Roth's fine. Traditional is uh, is is really tough, and the reason why is there's this arcane IRS rule called the IRA account aggregation rule where they, uh, if you put contributions into uh, after tax contributions, you pursue the strategy with a balance. Uh, part of the, the conversion that you do is going to be converting dollars that were already pre-tax. We're not isolating. We're combining everything. That's why it's called IRA account aggregation. rule. We're combining all of, even if they're separate accounts, we're combining them into one and it, it, you're, you're going to be paying tax on pre-tax amount and you're also going to be leaving uh, uh, an after-tax amount in the IRA. So it's just a, it's a complete mess. I mean, you could do that, but it requires accounting for it year over year. And then you're going to have to, when you go and take the money out, you're going to have some portion of that IRA is going to be after-tax, some of it's pre-tax. And so it's just a, an absolute nightmare. And so if you have dollars there, uh, you could think of, depending on the size of that, to maybe convert those dollars. You know, if it's just one year's contribution amount, maybe you convert those. If it's uh, a rollover, for example, you may want to look to move those dollars into your employer plan because the employer plan, the 401ks don't count in that uh, IRA uh, account aggregation rule. So um, yeah, again, another long-winded thing, but something very important uh, that, that's a, that could be a misstep for folks if they pursue this. Yeah, so just to kind of say that again, so if, if you have funds in a traditional IRA already that have been there for a while, if you were to do this backdoor Roth um, conversion, so some of those funds would be impacted and you would have to convert some of those funds in this traditional IRA that you may have contributed to a while ago and you would pay tax on all of those earnings. So, um, yes, I think strategy could be to, to roll those over into a um, employer 401k if you have that available. Um, 
also if you are self-employed and and have the ability to open up a uh, called a solo 401k or an individual 401k where it's essentially an, an employer 401k but you are the employer and as well as the employee that can be a great uh, strategy as well um, because you can also roll funds over to them and then you can also contribute actually a little bit more to the 401k because you can do so both as the employee and the employer but mm-hmm. um, well said. yeah yeah I guess so. The last option, I mean, not not last option, I'm sure there are others, but I think something that you know, so if you've, I think if you've maxed out your your four hundred one k that you know nineteen thousand five hundred or twenty thousand five hundred, you've you've maxed out your kind of uh, IRA either through you know backdoor or traditional or directly to a Roth, you know six thousand, and you still have funds to contribute. Um, you know, so we, we, t- we touched on the HSA, but we maybe we should talk about that a little bit, which, you know, again, requires using a high deductible health plan, but you could contribute 3600 That's fully tax deductible on a federal level, not necessarily on the state level here in California. It's not tax deductible, unfortunately. Um, and I think what's great about that is um, it grows tax-free and then you can withdraw funds from that tax, uh, tax-free with qualified medical expenses, right? I think if you, mm-hmm. if you have a, yeah, if you have a receipt, you can, if you, if you incur a health expense, you can withdraw it. And I think what's special about it is that you don't have to withdraw, you don't have to withdraw the funds in the year that you incur that expense. So if you, you know, you incur an expense this year, you just hold on to that receipt and then you can withdraw up to that, whatever your, you know, qualified expenses have been any year in the future. And then I think also when you're just, when you're of retirement age, you can just withdraw funds without requiring any kind of qualified medical expenses. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah, age 65. Yeah, you can treat it as a retirement account. Yeah, it's um, it, this this strategy blows people's minds. Now, we're talking about $3,600, so we're still kind of going down the lower on the rung. Now, that's for self. So if you've got a family and you're on a high deductible, mm-hmm. the max yeah. is double that, so 72. Um, that's for 2021. They raise it, you know, it seems like $50 every year. So 2022 is 3650 $7,300 on the, the family side. But yeah, you, you, this isn't unlike the FSA where you have to use it or lose it. Um, I believe you, you're allowed $500. Dollars, uh, kind of uh, rollover from a prior year, but uh, for the most part, you've got to you got to use all those funds. The HSA is amazing where you don't have to. So, like you said, um, saving your receipts. I mean, one way to really turbocharge this is to pay everything out of pocket from a from a, a health uh, perspective. Um, and, and I'll say this: the caveat is, you basically have to have lower. Uh, health needs. You're in very good health. You know, you're not necessarily seeing a doctor as much. Um, this probably wouldn't be a good strategy to pursue if, if maybe you had an underlying condition or, yeah, there's, there's something going on where you need to see the doctor on a more frequent basis because with that high deductible health plan, we're talking about uh, really just paying the contracted rate rather than having a copay. So maybe your copay is like 50 or $60 or maybe no, none at all. Some plans definitely have that. And so uh, now you might be talking depending on whatever the contracted rate, if you're talking to a specialist or a primary, you know, of $150 or $200 a visit or something like that. So um, those those visits can certainly add up. But um, yeah, for those that are generally healthy, I mean, this is a really good uh, vehicle to use. And and um, yeah, you, you, you pay everything out of pocket and you uh, save your receipts and you likely have the option to invest these dollars, usually the first $1,000 at whatever place that the bunny is held uh, has to be held in cash and then they give you a list of investments just like your 401k so you can allocate those dollars aggressively as you would your retirement account so um, and then in the future year where you may need to tap them you just say hey, I'm just reimbursing myself from a prior year and it could be five ten years prior uh, or maybe even longer uh, at least as, as the IRS code is currently written so you're able to pull those dollars out and so that that blows people's mind to be able to, to use that. So uh, it is it is quite a quite a nifty little trick there. Yeah, I think that's a really important uh, point that you made, which is the high deductible health plan has to be right for you. I mean, obviously, you gotta consider, have to consider the entire thing. Like, what is the tax benefit that you're, how much money are you actually saving by being able to um, contribute to this? I mean, like for instance, the 3,600, if you if you didn't contribute to the HSA, if your alternative was only to you know um, contribute to a taxable account, well then you can think about okay the benefit of contributing to the HSA is essentially the tax deduction that I'm getting. So whatever my, kind of your marginal tax bracket is, so maybe if that's let's say twenty percent on that thirty six hundred, you're saving you know seven hundred twenty dollars today. Um, but 
yeah, you're in a high deductible health plan instead of something else that may have more coverage. So you have to think about like, yeah, how often do you, you know, get medical services? How often do you see the doctor? Do you have any, you know, prescriptions, things like that? Um, so definitely maybe a better fit for a very, very young, healthy person. But, you know, I think something that's important is most high deductible health plans, they still cover a lot of preventative type yes. of care, right? Because they, they're incentivized to make sure you stay healthy. So things like like an annual physical, like I have a high deductible health plan, there's no, there's no um, deduct, deductible required to get a, a annual physical, um, just basic things like that, you know? So it doesn't mean you, you have to pay every time you see the doctor or just, you know, if, if it's, so it depends on what it is. But and, mm-hmm. and some employers too, if, um, you know, again, this is employer sponsored plan. Um, some employers will will contribute to your HSA mm-hmm. on your behalf because the high deductible health plan costs them less money. So my employer contributes uh, one thousand dollars, I think, um, as as a kind of a benefit um, as to encourage people to do the high deductible health plan because it costs them a lot less than the alternative plans that they offer. Yeah, yeah, great point. I was just about to bring that up. So it's it's important to consider the, uh, uh, yeah, if there's any match there that can help reduce um, and, and get you further to this goal. Or if you, how much do they contribute at your your employer? I think it's one thousand dollars, thousand bucks. So in yeah, theory, you know, a year. So yeah, every twenty, you only have to contribute twenty six, and you get thirty six. So right, um, and presumably those those that matching contributions vested immediately. So there's no vested yep. period. So, um, yeah, take a look at that, compare that. Um, but yeah, again, the, the first lens is, is use and need, I think for the, the medical side of things. So very cool. Um, yeah. How about the next one? Yeah. So, talking to the last one. so again, this is something that is, uh, you know, dependent on your employer again, which is really, you know, I think it's unfortunate that things like 401ks and then what we're going to talk about now is called a mega backdoor Roth IRA, which sounds kind of ridiculous, is also dependent on an employer. So we talked about backdoor Roth IRA, which is um, contributing to a uh, kind of traditional or non-deductible IRA and then immediately converting those dollars to a Roth. And there are some potential challenges with that, depending on kind of if you have existing traditional IRAs. But with the mega backdoor Roth IRA, it's similar, but you're doing it within a 401k. So you're you're making after-tax contributions. So it's not it's not a pre-tax for contribution. You're not getting a deduction when you make this contribution. It's not a contribution to your Roth 401k. It's like another bucket. And again, your employer has to support this. It's called after-tax contributions. Um, they have to support the ability to make after-tax contributions. And then they also have to support the ability to to convert those um, while still employed. Because again, you want to convert those to a, a Roth, either IRA or a Roth 401k, um, generally as soon as possible, right? Because the conversion is a taxable event. So any earnings that accrue after that contribution is taxable. And so if, 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 you, if you only contribute to the after-tax contribution but never convert it, when, if and when you do convert it, then you're going to pay tax on the earnings. So, um, so ideally, you want to be able to convert that as soon as possible. And some employers, um, you know, will allow you, or depending on like the 401k administer, ad, ad, administer, ad, ad, administer, administrator, yeah. administrator. Yeah. Thank you. I struggled <laughs> there. Um, will allow you to do it, you know, very frequently, or sometimes will even do it automatically um, after every kind of contribution. So, um, with that you have a lot more uh, kind of space to contribute. So I think then you have this this like total 401k uh, uh, kind of maximum, which I think for 2021, it's $58,000 58. yep. and 2022, it's 61,000. And that means that's the total amount of money that can be contributed to a 401k that includes, you know, your employee contribution, which was 19,500 again for this year. Um, and then whatever your employer matches and then plus whatever you want to kind of add as an after-tax contribution, all of that can go up to, you know, $58,000. So that's, that's huge, right? So, I mean, think about it was 19,500, maybe your employer matches, maybe puts in $3,000 up to 20. 2,500, but now the, now the maximum becomes 58,000. So that's, you know, like 40, 3,500. Oh, excuse me. Uh, yeah, right. Okay. But so, but almost like three, three times the size, you know, almost essentially, which is incredible. Right. And so again, unfortunately it's something that only your employer, you know, has to offer. And, you know, it's something that's, it, seems like it, it does require a bit of overhead or cost from you know from the either the company or the administrator and so it's 
you tend to find it at larger companies. But um, you know, I, I definitely encourage people to to employ people to talk to other employees and find like-minded people and try to advocate on behalf. And I think that's you know how these things kind of happen is that employees demand you know low-cost options and four hundred and one ks and things like this because this can be a huge benefit. Um, and again, the benefit is that instead of putting this money into Presumably, the option is just a taxable account, which is money that you pay tax on, um, and we're putting into a Roth, which is money that you will you, you pay tax on, but you will not pay tax on when you withdraw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, on paper, from a current year standpoint, it's the same uh, overall tax picture. You're you're not necessarily getting a deduction in this year, but like you're saying, um, yeah, the power of moving thirty five, close to thirty six thousand in your example into a Roth, I mean, that's why they call it mega versus uh, the 6,000 that we were talking about um, earlier. So the, uh, the interesting thing here is we don't necessarily have to worry, but there's no IRA account aggregation rule where you have to worry about, uh, oh, you got to move your employer plan or anything like that pre-tax. So that, that's that's the good good news there. And there's no, uh, also, there's no um, income thresholds to deal with and worry about. And, you know, kind of, there is obviously these extra steps here. But um, you no, know, it's amazing to me, like you're saying, that a lot of big companies, yeah, it's, it's, it's employer by employer. Um, but uh, if they're at a, if, if your uh, 401k is at a big company, it's crazy to me to see, uh, like, I'll just take Fidelity as an example because they're really big in the space. Um, but um, I'm sure virtually all of them have the capability of doing this, except for some, maybe some smaller firms. But um, it's really just like on the back end, just things that they turn on and off. I mean, uh, it's, it's just amazing to me that, uh, you know, I can see one employer plan of fidelity and another employer plan. One has it, one doesn't. And, um, the, the savings power is, is substantial. Um, so, but, uh, you know, this is, this is, uh, something that's probably a little more advanced and something that not everybody is, is thinking about, or, you know, maybe they're just kind of, coming along with uh, the, the maximum employee contribution and they're, you know, so, so yeah, this might be something that you might have to advocate for if your company's a sufficient size uh, from, you know, kind of talking to the HR department, especially as they're uh, uh, kind of identifying benefits. I would, I would do that prior to open enrollment, uh, but anytime's good. Yeah. So, I mean, we've talked about kind of different accounts, different strategies. I think, I think what would be helpful is like, let's, let's talk about, you know, as someone who wants to retire early before 59 and a half, before some of these accounts are kind of designed to make withdrawals from, like, can we make, let, let's make, let's, t- let's tell people how can they get money out of these accounts, you know? Because, um, I mean, obviously, we have taxable accounts. People know that they can take money out of a, out of a taxable account and pay capital, take pay tax on capital gains. Um, but yeah, what about, you know, money that's in a 401k, um, in a, either a pre-tax or a Roth 401k money that's in a, in an IRA, uh, what are, you know, is that money available to people before 59 and a half? And like, you know, how do they, do, how do they do that? I guess, or, or what are the things that they should consider, um, about the, the kind of the cost of doing that? Yeah. So, uh, well, let's start with the basics. So if you're to pull money out of the um, uh, pre-tax or or a Roth account for that matter, there is a 10% penalty on distributions uh, before reaching that milestone. So it's a, it's not a qualified distribution. It doesn't matter. Is this for 401ks or for IRAs too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is for IRAs. Yep. This is for 401ks. Uh, Roth, there's a penalty in the Roth as well. So yeah, it's a 10% penalty on the uh, amount that you're distributing from that account. With so, the exception is for Roth IRAs. So if you're pulling out contributions, right. there's no penalty. Or, uh, right, right. So yeah. that's on the earnings, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. thanks for the clarification. There, there are, however, specific uh, exceptions. Um, I don't have them all at my fingertips, but I want to say uh, uh, disability, um, medical expenses, uh, uh, schooling, uh, first-time home buyer up to $10,000. Uh, so there's certain exceptions where you can pull money out where it doesn't, doesn't hit you with that 10% penalty. Um, but, but let's say, you know, so it's not just the 10% penalty. Let's say you're talking about a pre-tax 401k, you pull the money out, uh, you know, there's going to be a 10% penalty. Plus there's also going to be income tax on that as well. So, um, which is similar. You mean, you're probably already prepared for that. So, um, you know, just in terms of the ease of thinking about it, uh, that's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, you already would have had to pay taxes on that anyways. And so it's an additional 10%. 
um, I would say that's probably the, the, the most simple thing to do is, you know, maybe run the numbers to say, well, actually, you know, does it make sense to, to go this way? Or another way is what's called the 72T, which is just some obscure IRS code uh, section that basically stipulates that you are able to pull money out of your pre-tax bucket buckets. Uh, however, it has to be substantially equal payments over time. So in other words, you have to set this up and you only get one oops button, meaning you're only able to revise one time down the line. So um, l- let's say that, you know, you initially said, oh, okay, well, I, I've got, maybe I want to pull out, I don't know, $1,000 a month or something like that, $12,000 a year from this account. You've got to be pulling that $12,000 every single year until the end of time or the, until the end of the, the accounts there uh, to be able to avoid this um, 10% penalty. So it's called 72T worth looking into, um, but it requires a hefty amount of planning because, again, you only have that one option to revise that while it's in play so that maybe, you know, 10, maybe you want to go down to $10,000 down down the line or something like that. So um, it's it's good for maybe the, the fixed expenses. Maybe if you know mm-hmm. that you're going to be spending X amount regardless of where life will take you, maybe you, you put a, a, a smaller amount than you might otherwise would, and that kind of serves as the base. So with that, then you can actually make withdrawals, yeah, from a pre-tax retirement account. Um, is that for, um, yeah, I guess 401ks or traditional IRAs? Correct, um, yep. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I think, um, yeah, I think it's an important point about going back to that 10% penalty. I think the word penalty makes it sound like, oh, you know, like you've done something wrong, like the IRS is going to catch you or get right. It, no, it's just, it's a, think of it as a fee. You're, you're paying a 10% for the privilege of taking the money out before 59 and a half. And I think that's really not the end of the world. Um, and it is obviously um, simple compared to some of these other options like the 72T where you have to really kind of be very confident in, in about withdrawing this money the same amount every year till perpetuity, essentially, I think. Um, so yeah, fit, you know, 10% could be a lot less than the kind of savings that you that you had when you deducted the, the this contribution mm-hmm. when you when you made it, um, and then obviously you know we talked about the HSA. So um, if you have receipts, um, you know the qualified expenses, you can make those uh, withdrawals from an HSA at any given time. And then the other one that we can talk about briefly is this is called a, like a, a Roth conversion ladder. I think is what it's kind of referred to, which mm-hmm. is essentially what you think you kind of touched on. You're doing conversions from um, I guess maybe you should step back a little bit in that make, make, making people aware that anytime you have funds in a, in a Roth IRA, you can always write withdraw contributions at any time without penalty, right? So, I mean, you know, it depends on how long you've been contributing to a Roth IRA, but, you know, for, for someone who's kind of pursued early retirement, um, I think, I guess, I think my assumption is, and let me know what you think, is that for someone who's pursued early retirement, who's been invested for a shorter period of time, like, uh, you know, of their portfolio, their contributions is a larger uh, proportion of their portfolio than maybe someone who's been contributing Mm -hmm. over a 40 year timeline, for instance. So, you know, so you you might have a Roth IRA and maybe half of it is contributions. And so actually, you know, like there's a lot of money potentially that you can just withdraw any time without any penalty and obviously no, no income tax because it's a Roth. Um, So that is a very compelling bucket. And then obviously um, you just, you have your taxable account that you pay capital gains on, but depending on your, your income tax, you can, um, potentially pay very little to no uh, capital gains tax if they're long-term capital gains. Um, but yeah, for the Roth conversion ladder, basically you're able to convert dollars from a pre-tax, uh, I guess a traditional IRA, right? I guess is what you'd be doing it from. Um, you can convert that to a, a, a Roth. So you tr- convert from a traditional IRA to a Roth and that is a taxable event correct that that's, that's uh-huh. taxable so you pay tax on i guess yeah you pay you pay income tax on all of the conversion mm-hmm. um but you know again you know people have uh, a standard deduction and your tax bracket may be very low for that conversion and then you have to wait right you have to wait five years or something yep. like that before you're actually able to then take that money that you've converted so every time you do a conversion you have to wait five years to be able to pull that money out right 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you do that, you waited five years, then you can withdraw all of the converted amount. Um, because it's treating it as free. a contribution. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It's contributed as a Roth IRA contribution, right? Because you pay taxes on it already. Um, so yeah, so that you know, that's a way to get money out of a traditional IRA well before you're 59 and a half. And the the cost of that is that you you know you pay tax on um, on it, but it was a traditional IRA, so you should have expected to pay tax on it. So mm-hmm. really, the only thing you had to do special, like you know, as a cost of getting it early, is that you just had to do it five years ahead of when you need the money. So that's, mm-hmm. that's a challenge, right? You can, you yep. have to kind of forecast what you need and maybe kind of like the 72T, think about like doing an amount that is, well, I guess, you know, you don't have to pull it out at five years. It just, you can only pull it out after it's been five years. So you can obviously, you convert an amount and then five years later, you don't need it at all. Um, that's okay. You can always withdraw that later, right? Um, obviously, you don't necessarily want to convert a whole much more than you really want because that is a taxable uh, kind of um, event. But um, I think you can just kind of you kind of want to maximize each year your kind of your your zero percent kind of tax. Not, I don't know. It, it's just a balance, right? You sure. know, um, but kind of fill up some of those lower tax brackets with those um, conversions every year. Yeah, and it's 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 not the end of the world. Um, <clears throat> when it comes to these this type of planning, it's uh, you know we're always talking about trying to fill up and and stay at certain rungs. But if you look at the amount of taxes you're paying in the bracket you're in right now versus what we're talking about here and the amount you might need in in retirement, um, you're, you're probably going to still even if you dip into a higher level, it, it's a progressive tax system where you're just paying just that amount on that higher. Uh, on just the marginal amount that you're over there over that uh, bracket. So I wouldn't worry. You know, it, it, it's it, it would be fantastic if you could plan it this way. Um, uh, it's 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 hard to say that uh, you know. Hey, in five years, do you know what your your need is going to be? Maybe not. Maybe not. But uh, again, this could be a useful tool um, in addition to maybe. Your, that's why having a, bu- a bunch of different buckets is helpful, so that you can um, maybe forecast this amount. Put do the conversion then. And then uh, if you need a little bit more, you've got your taxable account, you've got your brokerage account, you've got, um, you know, like you said, early on, your distrib- your contributions are going to be probably from a proportional standpoint, um, especially if you're doing um, the mega backdoor Roth. I mean, that you're really supercharging the amount of contributions that you have access to. Um, so that's a really, I mean, just, just that idea alone that you're able to pull your contributions without having to pay a penalty is is such an amazing uh, amazing uh, feature of the Roth um, that some some folks now uh, even kind of use that as almost like uh, the short term savings. But uh, I would imagine you're allocating that much more aggressively than you would uh, something that an emergency fund would be needed. So, uh, but but yeah, I guess worst case scenario you could draw from that. But yeah, it's it's, it's a very interesting tool to use for um, for for. Uh, pursuing retirement early. So, um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's powerful, um, to kind of set that up. And so it, it stands to reason that you could do this year over year. And this is what I was talking about originally, which was the, at age 72, that's when the, the government wants their money. They're going to be start forcing money out at, at certain actuary, uh, according to an actuarial table. And, um, you can get ahead of that by doing something like the Roth conversion ladder, where you're picking the time in which you're able to, um, uh, pay the taxes on mm-hmm. that. So very powerful. Yeah, I think the big takeaway is, you know, there are multiple ways of of withdrawing money from a retirement account, even if it's a pre-tax retirement account before you're 59 and a half. And they're not that bad. I think some of them require kind of some advanced planning. um, But it's... Yeah, I think they're very they're very workable, and so I think it shouldn't discourage people from taking advantage of of some of the benefits that con- contributing to a retirement account can have, even for people who are planning for early retirement. So I think, you know, if you have some of these um, options to you, things like four hundred one ks, HSAs, backdoor Roth, you know, think about them, and I think don't don't shy away from them just because you um, are are planning on retiring before fifty nine and a half. Yeah, exactly. Uh, don't don't let this episode be uh, discouraging to you on your journey, especially as you've maybe listened to some of the prior episodes and been very excited about the prospect of doing this. Um, you can do this. It's not again. It's not something you have to be an expert out the gate with. Uh, just continue to save. I mean, the I, I would say 
to me, the harder part would be just to maintain that consistent high savings rate, um, which probably eventually just feels a little more, the more you do it and the more you get used to it, uh, maybe feels a little bit more natural. Um, well, then of course it's probably easier to me to try to figure out the best way to, to kind of move that around. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's something, yeah, again, like you said, it requires a little bit more thought if you're trying to optimize to the nth degree, but, um, there are ways I have definitely seen it where people are getting very, very close to that number, that magical number that they've got in their mind and maybe not necessarily have it done it, done it perfectly or executed it perfectly on which buckets to contribute to. There are ways around it. I mean, uh, that we can, uh, that you can engage in the conversion ladder. Um, again, worst case scenario, paying 10%. Uh, so 72 T there's, there's definitely things to, to think about there. So yeah, if nothing else, don't, don't get scared off by, uh, by this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anything else to add before we wrap it up? No, no, I think we, we were able to cover everything. We were able to cover everything. So yeah, just curious to, to hear your thoughts on uh, the that episode and, and kind of the content that we've shared. Um, you know, whether you're these are brand new ideas or something that you've been pursuing and, and maybe uh, thinking about for quite some time, let us know. Uh, drop us a line at uh, feedback at maxfinancepodcast.com and uh, would love to hear your stories, um, uh, good, bad, or, or ugly on there. So um, yeah, look look forward to uh, diving in. I'm sure this isn't the last episode we'll be talking about financial independence, but um, I think this, this, for the most part, concludes the mini series that we had in mind. Anyways, thanks. Thanks, everybody. And I hope you have a great day. We're a new podcast, and it would mean the world to us if you took a moment to write a review in the Apple Podcasts app or share this episode with a friend or family member. We'd like to hear from you. Is there a topic you're interested in? Have feedback more generally? Email us at feedback at maxfinancepodcast.com. Thanks, and see you next time.